Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome in. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn State Health. He's Daniel Gallen. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. Here to catch you up on the comings and goings of Penn State football uh, this week. Not a lot happening on the scene, but I did find, Daniel, um, Monday to be an interesting day with the roster update that they that they kind of annually sneak through there. Sometimes... Sometimes it's a it's as simple as updating heights and weights, which I do know. I, I think there was some of that. But in this case, a lot of eyes were on what Penn State was going to do because you did have, you know, four, five, six remaining players who had eligibility left that you're waiting to, to uh, see what they're going to do. And we got what looks to be some answers on that front. So we're going to walk through some of those key players and and what it means, whether they are or aren't coming back. Daniel, I, I I think starting on the offensive line is is a good place to go because I think most conversations in, in the offseason, starting in the along the offensive line is a good place to go. So Mike Miranda, Anthony Wigan, not on the roster. We haven't heard yet what they intend to do, whether they're in the transfer portal. We don't know a lot of specifics, but it looks like we can rule them out. Yeah, you know, I guess my big question to you would be. Uh, is this a case going into 2022 where there can be some addition by subtraction on this group that just never really get, found its footing? Yeah, definitely. I think that Miranda was kind of the most interesting domino that we were waiting to, to I guess, drop um, over the past couple of weeks because you already knew you were going to have to replace two starters on the offensive line with Rasheed Walker going to the NFL and Eric Wilson exhausting his eligibility. Um, and then it was Mike Miranda was kind of the one you were waiting on. The redshirt senior started most of the season at center, slid over to right guard um, at the end of the year. You know, safe to say, probably didn't have the the season that that he expected to have or that Penn State expected him to have um, with some struggles in there. Um, I think that he was an all Big Ten, I think third team or honorable mention selection as a guard. And that kind of level didn't really come over. Um, And so I think that it gives Penn State a lot more flexibility um, going into this offseason. If you were to come back as a six-year guy, it's kind of like the Sean Clifford thing where you kind of got to pencil them in just based on experience um, and kind of the, the loyalty that James Franklin and has, has kind of shown to, to guys in his career. So I think that it's interesting now that you're looking to replace three guys. I think you can kind of pencil in Juice Scruggs as the center. Um, and you can pencil in Caden Wallace as their as the right tackle right now. So you got two guards and a left tackle, um, which is a it's a lot to replace. But I mean, this is college. There's always turnover. It's hard to keep a lot of continuity outside of one or two years. So I think that this unit um, will really look different going into next year. And I feel like we've said this a couple times, where it's like now we'll really see what Phil Troutline can do. Now the pressure is really on Phil Troutline because some of these guys in are going to be his guys that have been developed by him for, for two years, uh, three off seasons, maybe. And uh, then I think you can finally, you know, I guess reap the benefits or what you thought you were going to get uh, out of him as an offensive line coach. 
few names in-house just to watch for. Olu Fashana, who started at left tackle in the Outback Bowl, would be a really good starting point at that left tackle spot. Uh, Landon Tangwall, who we saw a bit more of as, as the season started to wind down. Obviously a really talented kid with the versatility to maybe play one or multiple positions. Uh, and then Sal Wormley, who was hurt just be, before the year began and, um, you know, was looked to be on, on, according to James Franklin, was a starter uh, at that point in time. So you do have some options there. You also have the option, obviously, of digging down the depth chart a little bit more, um, but also shopping, shopping for offensive linemen in the transfer portal. So we'll see what happens there. Anthony Wigan, you know, never just never really turned the corner. And, you know, Penn State's history with junior college offensive linemen has probably more misses than hits so far. I mean, it's just you love the fact that guys are two years down the road with development and stuff. But how many times is that two years of development? It's it's kind of like community college credits transferring to a you know a four year university. How many how how many times are those two years really truly a benefit and get them ready? And then it also you know the clock is ticking the moment these guys step on campus, and oftentimes it just doesn't happen for them fast enough. Uh, without knowing exactly what you know what Wiggins' development was like, it just seems like one of those stories to me. Yeah, I mean he was the starter at left guard in week one at Wisconsin, and that lasted. I think maybe less than a quarter or maybe a little bit more than a quarter. I think that James Franklin kind of tried to sell the idea that there was a rotation um, in there, but you didn't really see, you didn't actually see that. You know, it's a thing where the junior college, it's good when it works. And then when it doesn't work, it's, you kind of wonder why, what's going on there. Um, you You mentioned kind of the difficulties with offensive linemen coming over. I mean, I do think that it's a little bit easier for the, the skill guys, I think, because the, the physical development curve isn't as drastic for Jaquan Brisker and Jair Brown as it is for, for Anthony Wigan. Um, and I think that JB Nelson is going to be a really interesting kind of uh, case study for Penn state. He's, he was listed as a redshirt, redshirt sophomore on the roster. So he's got at least three years of eligibility left. So it'll be interesting to follow that um, as we kind of go forward. Yeah. I kind of watched the, uh, you know, watch JB Nelson in that light too. Um, the other one where I think we got a little bit more clarity was at the wide receiver position. Um, you sort of expected you're waiting for these two names, Cam Sullivan Brown and Daniel George. Cam Sullivan Brown, it seems like forever ago, had briefly entered the transfer portal before, pulled his name out, came back. You saw him play a bit role. You know, you saw him, uh, I don't know if, if number four wide receiver is the, is the best way to, to put it, but wasn't going to be much more than that. It, it seemed pretty clear, especially with the arrival of Mitchell Tinsley. Um, didn't look like his role was going to change much. So he's not on the roster anymore. And Daniel George, uh, it's all been downhill, unfortunately, for him since he caught that, what it was, what was it, a 96-yard touchdown pass from Sean Clifford a few years ago. So these are two guys, you know, Daniel George was a pretty heralded guy coming out of Maryland. But what what happens now is you are going to skew young at the wide receiver position, you know, as you look down the depth chart some. But that's a pretty exciting group that gets a chance to be remade. And, you know, no Jahan Dawson means everybody kind of moves up a peg, basically. But what do you make of this group and and these guys' decisions to, to you know, apparently look elsewhere? Yeah, I think just from our perspective, when you look at the roster and you try to plot out a depth chart, I think it, it adds a little bit of clarity because even though neither of these guys play, were playing that much, I mean, I think Daniel George barely played on offense this year. Cam Sullivan-Brown, 
he had his moments. I mean, he was targeted at the end of that uh, Michigan game by Sean Clifford in a couple of big spots when, when Dotson had to leave the game momentarily. Um, and he was kind of the, the number four. Um, I feel like if you were ranking those guys one to 12 or whatever. Um, so I think it adds a little bit of clarity because, you know, when you kind of fill in these depth charts, sometimes you give the benefit of the doubt um, based on seniority. That's kind of the, the tiebreaker, I guess. Like if you're putting Cam Sullivan Brown and Malik Mega on a chart, you know, you just kind of lean Sullivan Brown just because of the the time there. But I think that it just kind of magnifies everything. Um, kind of like what we talked about last week. I talked about it with Bob earlier this week is that Penn State didn't really have a true number four wide receiver this year. Um, Malik Mega has been talked about like a number four, but we haven't seen that actually happen yet. Um, and I think in reality, Cam Sullivan Brown was kind of the the number four in in practice when it came to um, guys spending time on the field. And obviously that top three last year was really good, uh, especially with Dotson and the top three this year is shaking out to be pretty good again with Tinsley joining uh, Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert Smith. But I think we saw it last year when the tight end production fell off, there was nothing from the running game and there wasn't kind of a fourth wide receiver um, who could really step up and, add something different or add something new or give defenses something else to think about. So I think that this kind of thins things down a little bit. And I think it magnifies the focus on someone like Malik Mega on those redshirt freshmen, Harrison Wallace, the third and Liam Clifford on redshirt sophomore, Jaden Dotton. And then even on the the incoming freshmen, Caden Saunders and Amari Evans who are on campus right now. I think that now there's just fewer names at that position, which I think magnifies um, what you want out of the guys who are who are still here? What, what you end up having here, and is you know, depending on what Mitchell Tinsley's level is when he makes this jump to the Big Ten, is that you could have really every spot on the depth chart face some degree of challenge. Now, I think you and I both feel like Parker Washington is a slam dunk as a number one, but you know, Tinsley brings something different to the table. He had fourteen hundred plus yards last year. Uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith is going to face a similar challenge. Um, I don't think the number four receiver job is is by any means locked up. And what you also have is, you know, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith, pretty proven commodities here. Mitchell Tinsley uh, looks like a guy who's going to translate right away. So if those, those are your top three, then that group behind them, Malik Mega, Caden Saunders, Harrison Wallace, Jaden Dott, Liam Clifford, Amari Evans, uh, you don't have a lot of sure things there. So... You know, I think on one hand, competition for each and every job is going to be pretty vibrant. And I know James Franklin wants that. I know Taylor Stubblefield wants that. On the other hand, I, I don't know if you're any closer because we're we're at multiple seasons now where you're you're not really sure who that fourth best guy is. Uh, and I think you're going to go into 2022 not real sure who the fourth best guy is. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's there's the competition there is is really interesting, and I think that for in kind of the the post sanctions world for Penn State, a lot of the conversation is about depth. Um, that's kind of the big that was a big thing just from a numbers perspective, um, building that depth, having like a number four at a position where you have three starters. Um, and I think that it's something it's kind of a theme uh, with James Franklin. A lot of the focus is on the offensive line. Um, in terms of building out that depth. But you look at other positions on the roster. I mean, we saw it last year with defensive line injuries. Um, we would have seen it in the linebackers if there'd been injuries. And you look at the wide receivers moving forward where it's it's really great uh, on top, but underneath you have some questions. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I, have a, I have a quick Cam Sullivan Brown uh, tangent, which 
I'm not sure that sequence of words is, is said very often, but with him leaving the program, I got to say that my, my first exposure to Cam Sullivan Brown uh, was back in fall 2015. Uh, Aaron Kaznitz, our, our former Penn, Penn Live colleague, was covering high schools for the Washington Post, and he covered a Pilates versus, I think, Avalon uh, game, which was Cam Sullivan Brown matched up with Trayvon Diggs, uh, both offensively and defensively. And in the story that Aaron wrote that I read, uh, I think I was covering Maryland at the Sun at the time, Cam Sullivan Brown put the clamps on Trayvon Diggs. Uh, and Aaron wrote a, a very nice story about it. I think Jared Patterson, uh, the record-setting running back from Buffalo, uh, who was playing for Washington, he was also featured in that story. So, uh, yeah, I meant to meant to tweet that out at some point and give give Aaron the shout out. Maybe maybe I'll do that later today. But uh, kind of funny. I mean, that was more than six years ago, and and here we are. So it's just one of those funny uh, recruiting and, and college football things. Now, did Trayvon Diggs have more interceptions as a rookie for the Cowboys than Cam Sullivan Brown had catches at Penn State? That would be, I, I think, I think Sullivan Brown edges him there, but it's not, it's not a blowout. Put it that way. Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, you're done going down the rabbit hole. I, I can appreciate that. Cam Sullivan Brown wasn't uh, the highest regarded prospect um, coming out of high school, and you know when when it, when his name popped up in the portal before it seemed to make sense that he would pursue some greener, you know, greener grass on the other side. But I think he he's, he's performed his role, which his role just never, it just never grew. And same with Daniel George. And we'll see if they get an opportunity to do that someplace else, as we've seen, you know, take one Roberson ending up at Connecticut and uh, Tyler Rudolph ending at uh, UMass. You know, I, I think there, there's probably a pretty similar destination where maybe these guys can get out on the football field and stop, the preparation and actually have some fun playing the game you know and that's that's what i would hope for them as they get an opportunity to play the game that they've really put a lot of blood sweat and tears into so we'll see what happens to them this is the blue white breakdown welcome to cure leaf a medical marijuana dispensary whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant cure leaf of pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey have questions Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Special teams was another area where um, you saw a couple gunners, you know, Drew Hartlob, who's meant a lot, who he briefly entertained transferring prior to this past season. Uh, A.J. Lighton came in uh, as a transfer from Florida State, and these guys were rockets in, in, in the punting game. And, you know, that, that does tend to be a position that you forget about until a guy breaks a big run or until they miss an open field tackle or until as AJ Lighton became familiar with early in the season, get there too soon. Uh, so, but, but these guys, you know, to lose that kind of experience, cause AJ Lighton has some ex- experience too. And that kind of speed from special teams is big. And then obviously you have Jordan Stout moving on to the NFL. You've got, uh, you know, a bunch of these other kicker options who, who are um, moving on. You do have Jake Pinnaker who took a red shirt season last year, which I thought, you know, he and Kaziah home, was both being these veteran red shirts that you know the design there to to take a red shirt is it is it a means to combat you know the the scholarship and the roster issues that came from the covid stuff so but anyway the the special teams uh how much 
is this going to kind of sting for a little bit? There, there are jobs to fill here. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of the more underrated uh, subplots of this offseason. Uh, Jordan Stout was always very good uh, after games when asked about his, his big time punting performances. He'd always be very, um, very deliberate um, in bringing up Hartlob and Litton as, as two guys that, that played a big role in that. And when you look at kind of special teams as a whole, obviously Stout was a starter at three spots. Punter, kicker, kickoff specialist, uh, holder Raphael Cheka uh, is moving on. Uh, he's no longer listed on the roster. Um, and then you're losing both your outside gunners or bullets uh, from the punt team. I mean, the only guy from the unit that's hanging around uh, is uh, Chris Stoll, uh, the long snapper who's coming back for his sixth year. I think that's an interesting kind of subtle, um, subtle dynamic that'll be moving forward. The punting was was really good last year. I mean, Sal was a finalist for the Ray Guy Award. Um, he could boom it, but he also did pretty well with, with pinning uh, uh, opponents back deep. Um, Hartlob and Litton were usually there waiting for it because uh, they were two of the faster guys on the team. So that'll be a pretty interesting dynamic. Um, obviously, Pinnegar taking the redshirt year. Uh, we did see him at the end of the year and uh, late in the Michigan State game, and then he was the full-time kicker in the Outback Bowl. So I think that kind of gives you a hint at where things are going to be moving forward. But uh, Alex Paquetta, the punters coming in, also got clarity uh, on Barney Amor, punter who transferred from Colgate last year. Uh, he is taking advantage of his extra year of eligibility. Um, and then Sanders Zahedak is also here uh, for the to compete for the kicking job. So Penn State likes to give scholarships to its specialists. They like to breed some competition there. And I think that this offseason, it'll be one of the more more interesting uh, competitions, I think. Yeah, you got competitions everywhere for those jobs. Um, Jake Pinnegar mentioned before and Kaziah Holmes. Just interesting, the usage of red shirts now. These are both guys who were at spots. You know, Jake Pinnegar was splitting duties effectively with uh, with Jordan Stout anyway. And then when Jordan Stout kind of took everything over, it maybe made sense to to put his uh, his career on hold for a moment. And same with Kaziah Holmes. There, there wasn't going to be a way to get um, all five running backs into the rotation in a fair way. Kaziah Holmes had to burn his red shirt early, you know, as, a, as a true freshman in 2020. So this was almost like a redo of that. And so when you see these red, red shirts awarded, it, it does look like it's by some kind of design to get this roster you know, to trans, transition back to normalcy. Yeah, definitely. I think that Holmes and, and Pinnegar were, were two of the interesting ones, um, especially Pinnegar, um, because when you lose that job and you're, that you had for, for three years and you still hang around for a fifth year, I think that that'll be an interesting uh, conversation to have with him whenever we do get the chance to talk to him again, um, kind of what that was like. But I think that it gives you kind of, uh, by using that red shirt, it gives you a little bit of continuity um, or like a little bit of a bridge from Stout to one of these younger guys, uh, whether that's Sanders Haydack is the the kicker of the future or whether it's someone else. Um, Pinnaker com- coming back for that fifth year, I think, helps shore up that position. You know, we've heard good things about Sanders Haydack's leg. So it'll be interesting to see what the kind of split is, if it's similar to how it was with Stout. Um, in terms of the the long range field goals or or how exactly that's managed. Um, and then with Holmes, I mean, I think it it made a lot of sense. It's kind of like what you said, where he had so many running backs last year. Jaywan Sider talked a lot about trust um, when he talked about Kaziah Holmes in terms of that the program was doing what was best for him and his development. You know, I wasn't around last year, but 
obviously he was regarded as kind of a more raw, um, a little bit more of a, of a developmental prospect. And obviously with how things shook out of that running back room last year, he got forced into action and it'll be interesting to see what he can do um, this spring and stuff and how, how he'll look through the summer into the fall. Now that he's had kind of a, a full year to develop a full year to kind of sit back and watch and, and what kind of strides he's made um, in his game. Uh, Adisa Isaac is another name, you know, obvious red shirt candidate. He had played as a true freshman, special athlete, somebody that uh, a lot of people along that defensive line room uh, have raved about o- over the years here. Get the, I think it's just worth mentioning. Don't forget about this guy. You know, I think the defensive end rotation is going to look a bit different last year, but if this kid is right and a hundred percent healthy, you know, I, I think he's a, a, as good of a, a replacement for what Arnold Ebiketti brought to the table as you can possibly expect. Yeah. Isaac is someone that I've had to remind myself too, that, that he's still on their roster, that he's still a contender um, that with Arnold Ebiketti moving on and Jesse Lucetta moving on that, that defensive end depth isn't as, as problematic or isn't as much of an issue as, as it might seem. Um, the fact that uh, Isaac will come back you know, in a way, it's almost like an addition from the transfer portal uh, in a way, kind of, of, of a newcomer in a way that's a bit of a stretch, but it'll be someone who will add something different to this defense that it didn't have last year. Uh, at the defensive tackle spots, Fred Hansard, not on the roster anymore. And you could see the writing on the wall when things, you know, fell apart a bit and PJ Mustafer got hurt. And when um, Derek Tangelo didn't play in the outback ball, we still didn't see a lot of Fred. Uh, so that's a, that's a, a, a young wave coming through that defensive tackle position. Uh, he will not be back. Uh, Jordan Vandenberg, who could be, you know, we saw him in the outback ball. I think he had five tackles in that game. Uh, he picked up a red shirt season, really interesting player to keep an eye on in that competition because of what he can bring to the table in terms of explosiveness and power and being able to be maybe move around a little bit. And then the other one is Hakeem Beeman still around is another, just like Adiza Isaac file him under don't forget about Beeman because uh, when he's on the field, he brings something different to the table and he brings some uh, quickness and explosion to the table. So if he's back and he's in the good graces of the program and, and got everything on track uh, I mean, he, he is an, another guy who can more than adequately fill in for, for where Penn State lost by. And by the way, as you're looking at PJ Mustafer and, and uh, Derek Tangelo, I, you know, Hakeem Beeman not being part of that equation was another big loss that kind of forced everybody to play a bigger role last year. Yeah, definitely. Um, Beeman was someone that there are a lot of questions about would he play outside? Would he play inside? What exactly is his role going to be? Um, that'll be something to really watch this offseason um, because they, you know, they need bodies at, at both spots, um, whether that's defensive tackle or defensive end, depending on where PJ Mustafer is in his injury rehab. And then, you know, just kind of behind Isaac, behind Nick Tarburton uh, at defensive end, you, you need guys to step up and, and be consistent performers. Um, so he should have, he should or could have the opportunity to compete at either spot. And then I do think Jordan Vandenberg is, is a really interesting name to watch this offseason. Uh, I think Bob Flounders highlighted him in kind of uh, a series about young players to watch. Uh, Vandenberg was kind of a, a later addition last summer, transferred from Iowa Western Community College, came in as a sophomore. Uh, and I think that they, he was some one of those guys where you're, you're very careful about managing that redshirt uh, and kind of getting him over the finish line retaining that eligibility. Um, so I think he'll be interesting to watch I think six foot three, two ninety two uh, listed as it'll be interesting to see 
whether that weight changes, but he flashed in the Outback Bowl. And I think that the way that Penn State was kind of approaching the Outback Bowl, the way that we were kind of approaching the Outback Bowl from a viewing viewing perspective is that we wanted to see some of these guys that we hadn't seen before do things like that. And Vandenberg was someone along with like Smithville where you go into the offseason like, okay, that's the lasting impression from this season uh, about this player because of what he did in that last game. Expectations are up a little bit. Let's see what he can do. Last but not least, you have the freshman who who redshirted, which was uh, Kalen King and Jalen Reed did not. Uh, and you saw, you know, some other players, uh, Jamari Budden, Kobe King, uh, Landon Tangwall, who who were really utilized in, in a way. They they weren't just thrown scraps in, in, in the games that they did play. You know, they were flush up against that redshirt cutoff of four games. And in the case of uh, Budden and Kobe King, they chose not to play in the Outback Bowl to preserve that red shirt. That's a tough situation, you know, to to burn an entire year of eligibility just because uh, you 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 needed somebody in a bowl game. You know, I think we discussed this before. It did create this interesting situation where uh, Jane Franklin seemed to speak as if they were playing, and then they made the choice that they didn't want to burn their red shirt. Just kind of, it's a modern day college football issue, I think, where where players are are having maybe more of a voice in this type of situation than they had before. But otherwise, they were able to preserve almost everybody's red shirts uh, for 2022. Yeah, there's a lot of reading between the lines uh, with the Kobe King, Jamari Budden situation, and I think it led to a little bit more angst um, than. Uh, the program or the fan base would have liked those couple days before the Outback Bowl. This freshman class, I mean, you know, for better or worse, it didn't have a lot of day one contributors. Um, I think that Kalen King was someone that we heard about all the way back in the spring. So it made sense that he was going to play early and often. I mean, he was out there. I think he drew a pass interference. He was called for a pass interference penalty at Wisconsin in week one. So you knew they were throwing him out there. You knew you were going to see a lot of him. And then I think Jalen Reed, who um, I think that he's someone who arrived later in the year. And I think just kind of, I don't want to say forced the coaching staff's hand, but I think he just kind of played his way um, into a consistent role that got him onto the field um, early and often. And I think that he's someone that will compete with Keaton Ellis for that other spot next to Jair Brown. Uh, And that'll be an interesting competition to watch. But I mean, I think the big thing was getting someone like Landon Tangwall uh, through the year, uh, retaining that eligibility when you look at the offensive line, I think that he should, I think he's probably one of the leading candidates for one of those guard spots, um, depending on how his, his physical development is going. And it's kind of in, in November, there are a lot of questions for, for James Franklin about, all right, when are we going to see more Tangwall? When are we going to see more Tangwall? Cause I don't think he, I think his debut wasn't even until the Rutgers game that they were very, very kind of stingy with his reps and, I think that that's a, a good way to good way to handle it, um, especially with offensive line. Really difficult to be a, a day one true freshman uh, contributor, and so I think that they kind of managed him the best that he could to get him in situate. They wouldn't put him in a situation where where he might fail um, or something along those lines. So I think that it's kind of what you expect. Some of these redshirt freshmen, I mean, the linebackers, Button and King, they're going to have opportunities. Uh, the wide receivers, Wallace and Clifford you're going to want to see them take some steps forward. So it's this group of redshirt freshmen, especially given the talent that's coming in as true freshmen. It's going to be an interesting dynamic to see who can kind of step up, who could take advantage of that year behind the scenes and, and really make themselves into someone who's getting onto the field. 
there's a lot of young depth in positions where, you know, may, maybe they push for starting jobs or maybe they're an injury away. I mean, Penn State's next layer of, of, of talent, there's a lot of redshirt freshman types in there. So it'll be, it'll be a fun group to follow along with. I would add just lastly, Landon Tangwall with his capability of playing multiple positions. If Penn State were ever to want to entertain Moving Caden Wallace inside, Landon Tangwall could go outside. And it's nice to have, you know, with both in, in the, the case of both of those players, the option exists for both for Tangwall to play tackle or for Wallace to play guard. That's my opinion. I think it's something that, you know, if you're looking at everything, if you're truly looking at everything about where things went wrong last year, where you can maybe maximize uh, individual player contributions, everything's got to be on the table. So we'll see what happens there. When you look at kind of moving moving around Juice Scrubs, moving around Caden Wallace, good chance that week one uh, at Purdue, the offensive line could have five different starters uh, than it did uh, week one at Wisconsin in terms of guys switching positions and personnel. That's something to keep an eye on. we got a long ways to go between now and then. We've also got probably some transfer portal stuff to follow. We've got another national signing day coming up, which, you know, that falls right in line with uh, learning more about these roster decisions. Could there maybe be a, a, a signee or two um, in, in February? So that's something to keep an eye on here on the Blue White Breakdown on PennLive.com. Follow Daniel at Daniel JT Gallon and uh, check out all of our Blue White Breakdown podcasts with Bob, Dave, Daniel, and myself. They're on Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and on YouTube as well. Thanks for tuning in to the Blue White Breakdown, and we'll see you next time. This is the Blue White Breakdown. <laughs>